All right, who brought the bread? Let me see. Somebody got, I like banana bread myself. Uh, no nuts. All right, so if, um, if this is a tease, right, we'll see you in the back after service. Just go ahead and bring it back. I'll keep the, um, I'll keep the knife. Hey, we're so glad that you're here this morning. Hope that you are uh, uplifted. Hope that it's already been a, um, a very uh, encouraging time of worship uh, for you. As we have been here, I hope that you're looking forward to the week uh, that is to come. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we're entering into a new, a new series when it comes to our study of Scripture, and we're going to call it Enjoy. And yes, I know it's not spelled correctly, but you'll figure out what the, um, what the problem is with that as we go through this over the next, over the next couple of weeks. I chose this topic because uh, we are leading up to my favorite Sunday of all time. And you guys now should know what that Sunday is. Every year it comes along. And it's always my favorite Sunday. It's Vacation Bible School Sunday. And we are four weeks away from Vacation Bible School Sunday. And I am just pumped about this. Because we're going to have all kinds of little kiddos that are going to be here on Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. And they're going to be having a wonderful time. They're going to be learning from Scripture. They're going to be sharing with one another. It's going to be a fantastic thing. And let me tell you, some of you need to come to Bible school. You do. Some of you need to come to Bible school. Because you've forgotten the joy that is found in praising God. You've forgotten the joy that is found in living for God. You've forgotten the joy that is found opening up the scriptures and hearing the stories of God as if they were the for first time. Because you've heard them over and over. And you've sung the same songs over and over. And you've lived for God over and over, day after day. And over time, you know what? There just joy begins to leave our life. And we're not filled with it as we should be. And it's, it's obvious. It's seen in our demeanor. It's, it's heard in our words. It's, it's something that expresses itself oftentimes through our actions. So to get us ready and to get, to, to get in, the, in the mode for, for Vacation Bible School, we're going to talk about joy for the next four weeks. So here's what I need for you to do. I need you for the next four weeks to read through the book of Philippians. That's going to be our study. If you'd like to go ahead and open there, please do so. It's in your New Testament, Philippians, it's kind of there in the middle. Think go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians is the P, okay? Go eat popcorn, Galatians, Philippians, with Ephesians stuck in the middle. You'll find it. And what I need for you to do this week is to start reading through Philippians. Maybe your goal is going to be to read Philippians one time through each week. Or maybe you'll just focus on chapter one. That's where we'll be for our study this morning. You'll focus on chapter one this week, and then next week you'll do two, and then three, and, and then four. Whatever your plan, however you want to do it, no matter how many times before you have read through this letter from Paul to a church that he cared so much about, you start again and read it through as if it were the first time. Because I guarantee you, since the last time you read Philippians, there have been things that have taken place in your life that have stole your joy. Maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a father, maybe it was the job that you had applied for and didn't get, maybe it's something that took place at school, maybe something at church stole your joy. You know churches can steal joy? 
I don't know what it has been, but I guarantee you since the last time that you read through Philippians, something has taken place that has, that has stolen your joy. You know, I almost entitled this whole series, The Cat Got My Bacon. I did. I really thought hard about that. I thought, well, you might not know exactly what that meant. Let me, let me show you what that is all about. Go ahead and roll it, guys. Food. You know, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I went to the fridge and I opened up the meat drawer. You know what the meat drawer is, right? Yeah. What was in there? Well, I'll tell you what was in there. You know that bacon that's like maple? It's got maple flavor. The maple kind, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I took that out and I thought, yeah. I know who would like that. Me. So I ate it. Oh, no. You're kidding me. Nope. Not kidding. You know, I also noticed there was some beef in there. Yeah, you know, steak, you know, juicy. Well, I ate that too. <laughs> but I went back to the fridge just a few minutes ago and I put something together really special. You're going to love this one. I took some chicken. Yeah. I put some, yeah, I yeah. put some cheese on it. And I covered it with... Covered it with what? I covered it with cat treats. Yeah. Then guess what? What? I gave it to the cat. <laughs> oh, I love that. Man, that is so good. I mean, how many of you, that's your life sometimes, right? I mean, something happens and you're getting all excited. You're like, really? Really? Uh, you you, you want to promote me? I'm going to get the job and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a raise and, and I'm going to get... I'm gonna get Jelly of the Month Club? Is that what I'm going to have? And, and then all of a sudden you find out that they gave it to Steve down the hall or, or Janice got it instead of you and you're like, no, you've got to be kidding. Or you just knew that you were going to get something at Christmas and, and you just kept waiting and, and you kept waiting and your older brother got it, what you wanted instead of you and you just can't believe. I mean, we just get built up sometimes for the things that we want in life, the things that we want to have happen. And then reality sets in, and the cat gets our bacon. (sighs) Who steals your joy? I don't want you to say it out loud because it might be the person sitting next to you. (laughs) But who steals your joy? Think about it for a minute. What steals your joy? Or maybe we should look at it from the reverse. What is it that brings you joy? Where do you find joy? What is it that just, that just builds you up? What is it that, that gets your heart pumping faster? It puts a, a song on your lips. It puts a smile on your face. You know, we look at this book of Philippians and you think, all right, we're going to talk about joy. So Paul must have been this, this guy that was just filled with all kinds of joy, and, and he was. But if you're not familiar with the story of Paul, you might find it interesting to learn that As he writes to this church in Philippi, some 10 years after the fact of his first meeting with them, he's writing to them, and he's under house arrest by Roman authorities. He's not free to do as he pleases. He's not able to go and enjoy life on his terms. Instead, his life, as he knows it, has been shackled. It's been taken away from him. But he writes to others in order to encourage them to make sure that not only do they find joy in their own life, but that they find joy in Paul's life in the midst of his circumstances. 
You see, Paul was a guy that understood whether the cat gets your bacon or not, you can still be filled with joy. It doesn't matter the circumstances that are going on at home or, or in the community or in society. It doesn't matter what's taking place right now in church. It doesn't matter where I am right now in my station in life. That there can still be joy because according to Paul and his understanding, joy is found in God. That's where joy is found. And so he's going to write to a church and, and he's going to, to pour out. And there's about, there's 104 verses I think in Philippians, give or take. And it's just dripping with joy. I mean, if you were to pick it up and just start to ring it out, you would just start singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? I mean, that's just how you would be. Because it's just everywhere that you look in the book of Philippians. So go ahead, jump into chapter one with me real quick. And and we're just going to walk a little bit through this chapter this morning. As we figure out how to enjoy and navigate the decisions of life. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with, here it is, joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He goes on and says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. To understand how he feels about this church, you kind of have to know a little bit of history from the book of Acts. You see, in Acts chapter 16, we see where Paul first is there in Philippi, and he meets up with this woman named Lydia. And Lydia is a fastinista of her time. And she is a seller of purple, and she has fine linens, and apparently she owns her own home, which would have been very unique for that particular time. And she is a woman of means, and he finds her, he shares the good news of Jesus Christ with her, and she, hearing the message of Jesus, responds in a way that you see all those individuals in Acts, when they come to a belief in Jesus Christ, want to follow him in discipleship, she is baptized so that she might commit herself to him being freed from sin. And then it just begins to snowball. First there's Lydia, and then there's a slave girl. Paul and Silas were walking through town one day and there is this slave girl that follows them and keeps shouting about who they are and what they're up to. And you would think that it'd be great to have somebody with a billboard walk behind you all day saying, they're here for the most high God. But Paul finally just gets sick and tired of it and he turns and he casts the demon that was within this woman who who had helped her make money for her owners. Cast this demon out gives her new life, gives her new beginning. And so now you have, you have this woman, Lydia, who is high society. You have this slave girl who has never known what freedom means, what it means to be truly alive as a woman. And because they did that, they end up getting thrown in jail. And yet there they are, the text says, at midnight singing praises to God. Because 
Paul knew that joy was found in the Lord, not in circumstance. And they sing praises to God. And if you've heard this part of the story before, you know that there is this earthquake that comes and the jail cell doors are opened up. And the jailer who was responsible for keeping the prisoners, making sure that they were secure, just assumes naturally that Paul and Silas, those people under his charge, would be gone. He's going to kill himself. And they call out and say, listen, don't harm yourself. We're here. He falls down before them and says, what must I do? And they began to teach him the message of Jesus Christ. And you follow it on and you see that he and his household were baptized just like Lindsay and just like Jacob and just like Jeannie. And the disciples in Philippi began with a fashionista queen, a slave girl, and a gruff soldier. And 10 years later, Paul in prison again says, I'm filled with joy every time I think about you. Every time I think about where you've come from. Every time I think about the beginnings. Every time I think about how Christ sets you free, I am filled with joy. Maybe one of the reasons that we have lost the joy in our lives is because, friends, let's just be honest, we've forgotten where we came from. We've forgotten. And maybe we've forgotten because we thought we were pretty good to start with. I mean, most of us, many of us here probably grew up in a church setting and we grew up patting the Bible and we grew up going to Bible school and we went to the church camps and we did all of those things and we were pretty good kids. We weren't like all of those other heathens. We didn't do things like they did them. Or if we did do them, at least we came to church on Sunday. And so we look back and we forget. We forget just how in need of saving we were. Paul looks back and he remembers fondly. He remembers fondly how the church there in Philippi began. He says it just fills him with so much joy as he thinks about where they started and where God's going to take them. And see, that's the great thing. You're sitting here this morning and you're thinking about where you are right now in your spiritual life and what God has done in the past. Let me tell you something. It is nothing compared with what God is going to do in your future. Because Paul says he is confident. He says, I am confident in this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue it on to its completion in Christ Jesus. You say, I I'm not where I want to be. And God says, I know, but I'm working on you and I'm getting you there. You say, but I'm still using language and I'm, I'm still falling into some of the same temptations and I'm still not as focused and my family still isn't as ordered and everything's not. And God says, I know, but I'm working on you and I'm getting you there. And Paul says, listen, what God began in you, he's going to finish. The question that you have to answer for yourself is, do you trust God? Because God says, I'm going to finish you. I'm going to finish you. And that should bring you joy. To realize that God's not done working on you yet. And if you think, hey, you've arrived to a place where you know what? You, you're calm and, you, and you're peaceful and you, you've gotten, you don't have to read Philippians because you've got it all memorized and, and you've heard all these stories and you said, hey, you know what? I don't think there's another plane that I can go to. Hold on. Because if you allow God to truly continue to be at work in you, he will take you to another plane that you've never seen before. Because he's not done with you yet. He says, and this is my prayer, verse 9, 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ in the glory and praise of God. So you've been a disciple for 10 years and you had Paul share the good news of Jesus with you and you've been trying to learn exactly what that means. You don't have a Bible. You have different letters that float around. You look and long for a time when a message from Paul arrives and you're trying to figure it out. What does it mean to please the Lord? See, we read this and we skip right over where he says there in verse 10 that he wants them to be able to discern what is best. And we think, oh, well, all they have to do, they just need to go to their Bible and they just need to read in their Bible and, and they'll know what's the best. They didn't have a Bible. And Paul's prayer for them, he says, listen, I want you to learn how to make the wise decisions. I want you to learn how to put God first. I want you to learn what a disciple's marriage looks like. I want you to learn what a disciple's language sounds like. I want you to learn what a disciple's thoughts are like. So I want you to be able to discern what is best and so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, But I find that one of the things that steals joy the quickest is to be in a dilemma of trying to decide what it is I need to do. What is that I'm going to do? And I'm not talking about the dilemma that you guys are about to face when it's like, all right, do we go to Cheddar's or do we go to Chili's? Which one? Now, to some of you, that's the biggest dilemma you're going to have all day. And you're going to sit down in the parking lot and brain cells are going to explode because you're going to be, I just don't know where to go. And maybe you'll say, Lord, would you just give me a sign? And you drive by and you see, you know, Chili's, sale. You're like, thank you, Lord. You know, here I go, coupons. That's not the dilemma I'm talking about. You see, there are dilemmas that are known as volitional dilemmas, wanting to do two different things at the same time. You're newly married. And you're trying to decide between a career and raising children and and how that's all going to work. You're trying to decide what's best. Do, 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 does one of us stay home with the children this young age? Do we, do we both go and, and get into the workplace? And, and how do we balance our schedules and our time? Which one do I do? You're a new Christian. And you struggle trying to figure out God's vision and how that works in your life. And then you see the old habits that keep coming up. And you see how you continue wanting sometimes to to, to be your old self. Our teens learned this week about how that there is someone that lives inside all of us. It's the hide part of us. Ask some of the teens that went to uh, Impact about Jekyll and Hyde and listen as they will talk to you about how they learn that there is this person that oftentimes lives inside of us that is that old self that keeps getting out even though it should be something that has died. And so we're like stuck and we're wondering, which do I do? There's geographical dilemmas. Wanting to be in two places at the same time. You have sick and maybe aging parents. And you're trying to balance that with your own family and with your own career. And you're trying to figure out, how do I do this? How, how, do, I, how do I take care of mom? And we were, are we going to move her in? And is she going to stay with us? And, and what kind of challenges is that going to bring? Or are we going to look at a, at a home for dad? And if, if my parents are watching right now, I just want to remind you that I've got visiting angels, that 1-800 number on speed dial. I'm just getting it ready for you guys. 
What do you do when you want to be in two places at once? What about when you have job opportunities? And you're trying to decide, do we move or do we stay? Do, do we uproot our family? Do we, do we change? Do we, do we move from our church family? Do we move from our school? Do we change ball teams and the things that we're participating in? Do we go to a new city? What do we do? Lord, will you just give us a sign? Will you tell us what is going to be the best? Will you put something up there? Will you make sure that I cannot miss it? Maybe it's an emotional dilemma. Because you have opposing feelings about some event. Those of you who have ever had to um, deal with a sick pet. And you bring the kids around and you're talking with them. And you're saying, you know what, we're going to have to go see the vet. And you talk with your children about things, how that it's going to be best for, for cuddles. And it's going to be best for, for puppets because well, they just can't get around the way that they used to. And so you make the trip to the vet, and then you make the trip back home, but there's this, there's this emotional dilemma that comes up inside you. You want to hold on to that little fuzzy creature, and then you also want to be at peace. And of course, then the next time you ever go to the funeral home, your kid says, did they go to the vet? And then you have to talk about all that stuff. How about the rebellious child? You want to bail them out, but yet you want them to learn a lesson. Man, does that steal your joy. Because you want to be there to help them and you want to make sure they make the right decisions and you want to make sure that things don't get too difficult for them. But you want them to grow and you want them to be out there on their own and you just don't know what to do and you pray, Lord, will you just tell me? Will you just tell me what, what I need to do with these different dilemmas that I have that come up? You need to know that was going on in Paul's life also. Look here in verse Verse 12. See, the reason he tells them he wants them to be able to discern is because he himself is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He says, listen, here's what's going on. I'm in chains right now, but guess what? Jesus is being preached. God is being glorified. And so it's okay. He goes on to verse 15 to say, listen, there are some people who are now trying to take up my mantle. And some are doing it out of envy. Some are doing it out of their own self-worth and trying to have self-gain. He says, but no matter what, at least the message of Jesus is being preached. And he says, that's what I'm going to rejoice in. And so look on down. And here's what he says in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet what will I choose? I don't know. I am... And the NIV says, torn between the two. Other translations say, I am pressed. The original Greek gives the idea that you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. That you're being pressed in, withheld on each side, and the pressure is just mounting. And he says, this is how I feel, because I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. There it is again in the faith. But he says, you know what? I just don't know what to do. He says, I want to go be with the Lord, but I want to stay here and encourage you. I want to be here and I want to make sure that I can pass along wisdom to you. I want to help you as you're growing in your discipleship walk. My work is not finished. There are people to see. There are letters to write. But on the other hand, Jesus is all the world to me. And I want to be with my Lord. And here's the deal. You understand that there is no right or wrong answer. There's no right or wrong answer with Paul. And for many of us, the same thing happens in the choices that we're going to make. When we're looking at some of those dilemmas that I mentioned earlier and trying to decide which is the best route to go, when we're talking about things that are both godly, when we're talking about things that both are going to honor God no matter the path that we go in, sometimes there is no best answer. There is no right or wrong. It's just the one that that we choose. But we get frustrated because we pray to God and it's just like we hear crickets and there's nothing. There's nothing coming from him. We know that God is this great door opener, but here's the thing. He is not a celestial enabler because God's primary purpose for you is the purpose or is the person that you become. The Apostle Paul also writes over in the book of Ephesians and he says in verse 4 that God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In other words, God's basic will for your life is not what you will be or where you're going to live. It's not who you're going to marry or how much you're going to make. It's who you're going to become. That's what he's most concerned with. And the decisions that you and I make, these are decisions that help us to become the person that God is crafting us to be. Because making decisions is an indispensable tool in the formation of us becoming his creation. You know, as a parent, you know this, right? You know that it is not healthy to make every decision for your kid. They're going to grow up and have to have counseling later if that's how you do it. Now, some of the kids are sitting out there going, that'd be awesome. Just, Just make every decision for me. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to get up. Tell me what I need to major in. Tell me what kind of job I need to have. And oftentimes we go to God with the same thing. It's like, Lord, just tell me. I don't want to have to make a decision. And what it is that we're trying to do, we're trying to take away the anxiety from our own lives because we just don't want to choose. And so we say, God, would you just tell me? And yet God's will for us is often that we just decide. Sometimes we're going to ask heaven for direction and God will say, I don't care. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care about your life. It just means he's not going to force you into a certain decision. Now, sometimes God might have a specific assignment for someone, just like he goes to Moses and he says, listen, I need you to go talk to Pharaoh. And he was very clear in giving out that guidance. But as Paul writes to the church here, he says, you know, I want you to be able to discern what is, what is best. But here's something we often think. That when we're stuck between two things, when we want to go be with the Lord, or we want to stay here, or we want to take this job, or maybe we should go there, or we, we want to try to decide family or career, how are we going to work all of this? We have this myth that begins to grow within us that says that whatever choice that I make, if I make the right one, everything will be easy. It'll all be easy. 
So choosing the right spouse means that marriage is just going to be effortless and every morning we're going to wake up with good breath and sweet dispositions and nothing about the person that I married will ever get on my nerves and, and yet you know that's not the case. You have children, you think, well, they're just all going to grow up and they're going to love God and they're going to get good grades. They're going to be above average in looks and IQ and skills and, and athletic ability. They're going to be able to navigate puberty without acne or any kind of emotional imbalance. They're going to get into college on the first try without taking the ACT. It's just going to be amazing. And you know that's not the case. You choose a certain vocational door and you say, you know what, this job is going to fulfill my passion and I'm going to find fulfillment each day. My performance reviews are always going to be straight A's. I'm going to be the boss's favorite employee. Other employees will look to me for guidance. They're going to write me notes asking how I can mentor them. Coworkers that are difficult to get along with are going to be quickly transferred to Alaska. This is how life is going to be if I choose the right direction. You know, if easy is my criteria for which path I go down in my life, then anytime I hit something that's hard, I am going to think that God must not be on my side or that I messed up. But an open door does not promise an easy life. In fact, think about it. When God called people to go through open doors, what generally happens is that life gets much harder, right? Think about Abraham. He leaves home and faces uncertain danger. Moses has to go and deal with Pharaoh and all those whining Israelites. Pharaoh and the things that he tried to heap on Moses just got harder and harder and harder. You have Elijah running away from a power-crazed queen. Esther had to risk her life to prevent genocide. The entire book of Nehemiah, when you study through it, it just centers on how Nehemiah's work had both external and internal problems. When God calls us and we follow him in discipleship, it does not mean that every door that we walk through is going to be an easy road. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and here's how he says it. This is in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9. He says, a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. He says, not just one door. He says, it's a wide door. And I'm going to go through it, but I know that there are adversaries. And I know that there are things that are going to come up that I'm not going to like. You see, trouble avoidance is tempting, but it's not ennobling. Spiritual maturity is being able to face troubles without being troubled. And at the end of our lives, it's the troubles that we face that oftentimes give us the strength and the perseverance and the endurance. Paul was in prison, and yet he writes to these individuals saying, you know what, I'm enjoying writing to you. And I'm enjoying praying for you. And I'm going to enjoy seeing you again. Because as I navigate life's difficulties, I do so understanding God's plan for my life. Final thing, and let's close with this. You know, Jesus nowhere says that he's going to give us an easy assignment. Instead, rather, he goes, you know what? You're going to be handed over and persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. That's Matthew 24 and verse 9. That's what he tells his first disciples. He didn't say the world would be easy. Instead, in John 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And in fact, Jesus used the word easy only once. Did you know that? But it had nothing to do with circumstances. It had nothing to do with choices. He uses the word once, and it's when he says in Matthew 11 and verse 30, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you, because he says, it is 
easy. It's easy. He didn't say, I'll give you an easy life. He said, I'll give you an easy yoke. And taking the rabbi's yoke was a metaphor for taking on his way of life. Jesus said, taking his yoke and arranging our lives to be constantly receiving power and being transformed by the grace of God would lead to a new internal experience of peace and well-being. It comes from the inside. Easy doesn't describe my problems. It describes the strength that I have that I get beyond myself. Jesus says, listen, what I offer you is easy. I offer you me. And that's where joy is found. One of the songs that um, kids in Jamaica sing for Vacation Bible School is called, There's a Flag Flown High in the Castle of My Heart. And they sing about how that love is a flag flown high from the castle of their heart. And they sing how that peace is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart. And the last part of the song, they sing how that joy is a flag flown high from the castle of their heart. But the song starts out quiet, and then it builds and builds. And when they get to that part about joy, the kids are up, and their arms are up in the air, and they're waving their flags, and they're saying how that joy is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart, from the castle of my heart. Joy is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart. But the end of it is the best part. They sing... When the king is in residence there. I started everything off by saying some of us have lost our joy. And yes, there are joy stealers in this life and the cat gets our bacon. But if you really want to know why we lose our joy. It's because we don't allow God to truly live in our life. And so Paul says, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. He says, convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy of the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting of Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. You see, when you're a person who allows Christ to live through you, no matter what decisions that you make, choosing to honor God, no matter where it is that you go, not only are you filled with joy, but your joy is contagious and it spills over into other individuals' lives. And so what do you do when you're pressed in on both sides and you're trying to figure out what decision do I make? You understand it's not about you. You take yourself out of the equation and you realize I will make a decision that is God-honoring. And that whatever direction that I go, whatever direction that I walk, I will honor God in all things. And here's the, the, the great part. When you honor God with your decisions, God honors you with joy. That's great. Philippians chapter 1. Read it through this week. Read through the entire book if you want to. We are four weeks and counting from a fantastic Sunday where children of all ages will be filled with joy because it's Vacation Bible School. And I pray that they will see you in the weeks to come and they will truly learn what it means to be filled with the joy of God. Maybe you need to come this morning because you're not a Christian. You haven't been baptized into Christ. You're still living in your sin and you need the joy that can only come from the Lord. 
Maybe you're an individual that, like I said, you just don't have any joy anymore. You're not allowing God to truly live through you. You're still living for self. You've allowed all of those old habits to creep back in. Maybe you need to come and just say, you know what? I need the joy back in my life, and I want God to strengthen me one more time. We're going to sing two songs together as we close out our time this morning. The first one is called Father. It's one that might be new to some of you. It's going to be here on the screen. Go ahead and update that, guys. And if you notice, ladies, you just repeat right after the guys. That's how it goes through the whole song. As we sing it, think about the life that you give to God and the joy that he gives to you.